Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 47 of Sports Day Plus. 645, where are we at in society? A chef in Japan served his frankenbeans to knowing customers? No, really. At 6.30, I continue a look around the NFL playoffs, including the Houston Texans making believers out of a lot of people. At 6.15, Longhorn football had a fabulous weekend. And in mere seconds, the Dallas Cowboys crash and burn in the first round of the playoffs. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at CourtesyWave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, it was mostly unexciting this wild card weekend of the NFL playoffs in terms of final results. There was only one game that was within a possession, and that was actually a really good game. The Sunday night affair between Detroit and the Los Angeles Rams was won by the Lions 24 to 23. Every other matchup was a blowout. Houston Texans beat Cleveland 45-14. Kansas City tops Miami 26-7. Buffalo and Pittsburgh 31-17 for the Bills. Tampa Bay embarrasses Philadelphia 32-9. And we will get into some of that action shortly, coming up just after 6.30. But I would be remiss not to start with the Dallas Cowboys who were embarrassed by the Green Bay Packers on Saturday afternoon into early evening. A final score of 48-32, to but quite frankly, 16 points doesn't do justice the dominating fashion with which Green Bay won that game. It was a 27-7 lead at halftime, and even though Dallas would try at times to get a little bit closer every time they had an answer on offense because they did start to get their act together offensively, especially in the second half. Green Bay had a response. And for a team that has really owned these Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs going back a long time now, including winning games that they shouldn't necessarily be winning at AT AT&T Stadium, we have another example of that. By the way, Green Bay got up 27 to nothing in this game before Dallas was able to score a touchdown literally in the final seconds of the second quarter to cut it to 27 to 7. They did get the ball to start the third quarter, settled for a field goal from there. But after that, Green Bay touchdown. Cowboys responded with a touchdown, but Green Bay scores another touchdown. And after the Cowboys turn the ball over on downs in the final possession, or their final possession of the third quarter, Green Bay scores another touchdown. And it was over with before then, if we're being completely honest about things, but that was it. It was done at that point. Now, the Cowboys did score two more touchdowns after that, but again, the game was already well in hand for the Green Bay Packers. And so now the Cowboys have some serious questions to answer, starting with... Because the biggest question, we know what the answer is. Or I guess we don't totally know what the answer is. But the biggest reason why Dallas won't succeed more in the postseason is Jerry Jones remaining at the top. 
as the owner and general manager, I think technically president of this football team, I think the matters most is him continuing to make personnel decisions. My former radio partner, Chad Hastings, used to say, somebody needs to take the keys away from grandpa. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to do that. I posit that Jerry actually has things set up now to where hologram Jerry Jones will eventually take over when real life Jerry dies with hologram Jerry powered by AI. AI that has learned how real life Jerry Jones operates. So this is going to be your reality for the rest of your lifetimes, Cowboys fans. But short of Jerry Jones in all seriousness dying and somebody else gaining control of that franchise, it seems like we're at the end of the Mike McCarthy era in Dallas. They won 12 games each of the last three seasons, but they have nothing to show for it in terms of postseason success. I think one win in that time. And this year, you come back from, not left for dead because you were going to make the playoffs, but you come back to win the division, capture the two seed, which means other than the possibility of an NFC championship game, you were going to have home field through the first two rounds of the playoffs. But you couldn't even make it to round two. But you came out stiff and unprepared against a Green Bay Packers team that is the youngest team in the league, but they certainly didn't play like it. On Sunday, Jordan Love giving Packers fans a ton of faith for the present and the future. What a lucky franchise that is, by the way. Brett Favre takes over in 1992. Since then, Favre to Aaron Rodgers and now to Jordan Love, you may have found another franchise-quality quarterback and... Some franchises have all the luck. Now, Green Bay hasn't won a ton of Super Bowls this century, but Love gives them some potential there. Got some nice weapons around him. Kudos to Aaron Jones, the Texas native, UTEP alum. He's really been running the ball well over the last month of the season when he came back from an injury that kept him out for a couple of games. Gets his fourth straight 100-yard effort. Instrumental in really putting the Cowboys away in the second half, too. But Jordan Love kept finding guys. Sometimes they were guys who uh, were decently covered, and sometimes they were guys who were wide open. And that's the biggest surprise for this Cowboys football team on Sunday is how the defense seemed to give up much sooner than the offense did. Because the offense, as I said, did start to figure some things out. They just needed the defense to come up with a stop, and the defense couldn't really do that until the game was well in hand in the fourth quarter. When Green Bay led 48-16, to 16, you're not coming back from that. So they could rest a little bit easier then and not try and push it too much and essentially just continue to bleed clock. If Mike McCarthy's gone, then I don't know what to tell you, Cowboys fans. But again, Mike McCarthy is only a small part of the problem. Now, I don't think that he's a great coach on the sidelines, even with his team having won 12 games this year. Let's remember, they did that against... A lot of subpar competition. It's a surprisingly easy schedule for the Cowboys this year. They still have to win those games, but when they went up against some of the best teams in the league, you could say with the exception of Philadelphia, but we saw what Philadelphia is last night. Just getting absolutely worked by the Tampa Bay Bucks, 32 to 9. That game wasn't even that close. Like Philadelphia had some major issues that finally surfaced despite the fact that they were, what, 11-1, 12 games into the season. 
That wasn't the reality, I guess. And for the Cowboys, your reality is that Mike McCarthy should probably be gone. Who knows about Dan Quinn at this point? He has interviews with head coaching gigs. I think he has something set up with the Seattle Seahawks already. Like, do you want him back at this point? I know the defense was the stronger of the two sides of the ball at times this year. But that's a tough question. Dak Prescott had a great regular season. Seemed to secure himself as one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the National Football League. Even though his numbers end looking good on Sunday. Over 400 yards passing. Three touchdowns, all three to Jake Ferguson. Through an interception in the first quarter of the game. And uh, also had some other moments, especially early on, that put the Cowboys behind the eight ball. You have him for one more year, and you have to decide at that point, because I believe next year is going to be his age 31 or 32 season, whether you want to sign him to another big deal. That's not to say quarterbacks can't be highly effective into their mid or late 30s at times, but is he going to be the guy that leads you back to the promised land? I don't know. I do know that Mike McCarthy is not the head coach, and I certainly know that Jerry Jones is not the owner slash GM to make that happen. All right, we're going to take a break from the NFL talk. We'll get back to that after 6.30. Coming up next, though, it was a fantastic weekend for Texas Longhorn football. Killing it in the transfer portal. Killing it with a guy who spurns the NFL to come back for one more season. And an old familiar face is returning to the coaching ranks in Austin. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellen. Was a successful weekend for Texas Longhorn football, both in the transfer portal department, the guys spurning the NFL to return to school department, and one case of a highly established and well-respected former head football coach at the FBS level choosing to remain an offensive analyst. On Steve Sarkeesian's staff. You know, it's funny, I previewed this before the commercial break, but I mentioned an old, familiar face returning to the 40 Acres, and I just checked during the commercial break. It looks like Dwayne Aquina will, in fact, not be joining Steve Sarkeesian's staff as a defensive analyst, which would have been nice to get his input on the back end for the Longhorns, a back end that quite honestly, hasn't been very good. It's been one of the few consistently weak points of Steve Sarkeesian's football team since he took over three seasons ago. Dwayne Aquina, the architect of those DBU units during Mac Brown's time here that had you feeling better about the overall direction of the defensive backs, assuming that Blake Gideon and Terry Joseph remain on staff into next season. But it looks like Dwayne Aquina has accepted an official assistant coach's role at Arizona, who just had to replace their head football coach. Did so with Brent Brennan, the former San Jose State head coach, after their previous guy took the Washington job. So best of luck to Dwayne Aquina. It was a fun 24 to 48 hours in learning that news. 
Dwayne, a guy who was beloved around here and obviously knows his stuff, too, as far as it pertains to developing defensive backs and an overall pass defense scheme, but may have to wait for the future, if at all. So that's the bad news out of the way because it really was mostly good news for the Texas Longhorns this weekend, starting with former Alabama wide receiver Isaiah Bond, who announced a day after Nick Saban retired from the Crimson Tide that he was headed into the transfer portal. And in talking with people behind the scenes, folks on the Texas side felt very good about the chances of him landing in Austin soon after he made the or it was announced that he was in the transfer portal where he visited this weekend and before he left town the deal was sealed and i mean that figuratively perhaps literally as well but Isaiah Bond will be a member of the Texas Longhorn football team in 2024 the junior to be played both his years in Tuscaloosa including as a true freshman Had five games last year. He went over 75 yards receiving. Had a touchdown catch against Texas game two of the year. Also had a catch for a two-point conversion. He was the guy who caught the ball that allowed Alabama to defeat Auburn near the end of the season. And as a dude, it really started clicking for him on the outside throughout the course of this last season to go along with his quarterback, Jalen Milrow, getting better too. So, You wondered who that third guy would be for this Texas wide receiver room with Matthew Golden coming in from Houston, Jontae Cook waiting in the wings, already on the roster, getting limited playing time as a true freshman this year. That third guy most likely is going to be Isaiah Bond now with a ton of other dudes battling it out, one to start, but two if nothing else to be the backup to the three main guys because you know how Steve Sarkeesian handles his receiver rotation be a backup means that you're a play away from possibly being one of those three guys. There are some guys on the roster who will be in the mix, some true freshmen coming in too, and Texas may may still be looking in the transfer portal for a guy who can provide depth, a guy who is maybe uh, slightly on the developmental side but has a huge upside too. But Isaiah Bond really does secure the third of three options that will be Quinn Ewer's predominant targets in 2024. On the defensive side of the ball, it's not about another transfer coming in, but a guy who was one of the most valuable players on this year's defense, surprising pretty much everyone by choosing to come back for another season here in Austin. That would be Jade Barron. The nickel corner. It's an outside shot. He plays more straight cornerback next year. Well, he announced over the weekend that he is delaying his eligibility for the NFL to return to Austin for one more season. What a huge piece of news this is. One of the most important playmakers on this defense, not just this last year, but going back two years now, too. Kind of a weird end of the year for Jade Barron. A little bit inconsistent. Especially in coverage, which was surprising because he's been so good in that regard for the last two years. But maybe Jade Barron got a draft grade and realized that he would be better off coming back to Austin. He's obviously going to get hooked up nicely through the school's NIL program and maybe work his way into a top two to three round draft pick for the 2025 draft. And all of a sudden, a unit 
that was much maligned in 2023, and rightfully so, especially with what happened against Washington in that semifinal matchup, is looking pretty darn good on paper heading into next season. Ryan Watts is gone, of course. Announced his intentions to enter the NFL draft. Jaron Thompson entered the transfer portal. He'll be playing ball next year at Auburn. Best of luck to him. But you get Derek Williams back. Michael Taff as a steadying influence in that secondary at safety. Makuba from Clemson coming in from the transfer portal. Could play safety or nickel corner. He's probably sliding back to safety now with Michael Taff spelling either Derek Williams or Makuba when one of those guys needs a break. And the cornerback position is going to be manned by Malik Muhammad, who is arguably this team's best cover corner at the end of the season. Terrence Brooks on the other side. And then there's an outside shot that Jabbar Muhammad, Malik's cousin, who started his college career at Oklahoma State, but played most recently at Washington, where he was an all-pack 12 performer this last year. Texas fans know about Jamar Muhammad. We saw him up close and personal in that semifinal matchup. Well, he is in the transfer portal now with his coach having moved on to Alabama, and he does have a visit scheduled to Texas tomorrow and Thursday. And there's, So there's a chance he could join his cousin on this roster, and guess what? If you have Muhammad's on the outside, you're going to feel really good about your ability to keep those guys out there and commit more dudes elsewhere. Sometimes it can be help over the top, but sometimes it can be having safeties help linebackers or having the nickel corner do something different. Get more exotic with the blitzes if you want to. Getting too far ahead of myself, need Jabbar Muhammad to come in and check Austin out and see if there's a right fit for him. And if if Muhammad is the right fit for Texas too, these coaches have to make that evaluation. They've been really good at that. And you trust their opinions on these things. But Steve Sarkeesian and his staff continue to crush it in the transfer portal by landing Isaiah Bond, having Malik Muhammad in here. There's a Stanford tight end who's going to be visiting Texas. There's a position that they could afford to add some depth to. It's probably tight end right now. And then also convincing a guy like Jade Barron to come back for one more season. Huge win. Huge win. This is not a case of Jaron Thompson where it's like, wow, what happened to that dude? He kind of tailed off and all of a sudden became highly erratic. I don't worry about that with Jade Barron, despite the fact that it was a weird end of season for him. I wouldn't be surprised to learn that he was dealing with a more significant injury than any of us realized over the last month plus of the year. Remember, he was supposed to miss that Houston game, but was forced into action because Texas was on the verge of losing it. And so they needed another guy who could possibly make plays on the defensive side of the ball, specifically in the secondary. And credit to Jade Barron for sucking it up and getting out there and helping his team to win that game. One coaching note for the Longhorns, Paul Christ, former Wisconsin coach who joined Steve Sarkeesian's staff last year as the... As an offensive analyst focused on the run game, I believe. Well, he is spurning some other more official opportunities around college football to remain a part of the staff next year. Huge win. Huge win for Steve Sarkeesian keeping Paul Chris services. This has you feeling even better that we're not going to see a drop-off in the run game. Not that anybody was concerned about this anyhow, 
But the fact that you have that sort of continuity, not just with an offensive analyst sticking around, but a guy who has that much respect, the type of respect that Paul Chris does around college football, for him to still be providing his input on what is going to help this run game flourish, big deal. And a positive sign for C.J. Baxter, Jaden Blue, Gibson, Clark, the other running backs who will be on this roster next year who will be vying for carries. And you assume it's going to be a Baxter-Blue duo, but you never know. They've recruited really well at the position. Tashard Choice obviously does a great job with that. And even if I disagreed with who the starting running back was to begin this season, it proves that these coaches are operating on a sort of meritocracy right now. Jonathan Brooks needed to be the guy just based on what I had seen in the past, including in last year's bowl game, but C.J. Baxter apparently was the guy who looked better in practice, and so that's the guy that they went with as the starting running back as a true freshman entering the 2023 season. Fortunately, and I'm not rooting for injuries, but fortunately with Baxter getting dinged up like like he was, it allowed Brooks to prove why he should be the starting running back for this football team. But again, there was a meritocracy in play. At least that's my thought on things. Hopefully they weren't playing recruiting games by showing other true freshmen or or future true freshmen that a true freshman could in fact crack the starting lineup at a position as important as running back. All right, coming up, we are going to get back into the wild card weekend of the NFL playoffs, including those Houston Texans, man. They have made fans of a lot of people in H-Town and beyond. The Eagles get completely embarrassed. The Bills handle their business. And oh no, have the Chiefs figured it out at the right time? It's possible. That's up next here on Sports Day Plus. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Although we were all excited for the first weekend of the NFL playoffs, the final results revealed a bunch of dud matchups, if I'm being blunt about it. Yeah, look, as a guy who has rooted against the Cowboys for most of my life, I was very amused to see Dallas get their asses kicked by the Green Bay Packers. That was not an enjoyable game to watch, necessarily. I think I tuned out early in the fourth quarter of that contest. Same goes for the Houston-Cleveland game, if I'm being completely honest. It was awesome to see Houston get up like they did on the Cleveland Browns, leading 24-14 at halftime. As soon as Joe Flacco throws back-to-back pick sixes in the third quarter, that was it. Texans get the ball to start the third quarter. They punt. And Joe Flacco in two straight possessions in back, not even back-to-back plays, back-to-back possessions, they get pick sixes to put this game away. I mean, it was Texans in the driver's seat after that. They were up 38-14 to 14 at that point, and you knew that the Browns were going to have an impossible time coming back in that game. Something that we probably should have paid closer attention to, I heard it from a couple of people, but I didn't heed it enough. Even though in my weekly picks against my co-host on a completely different show, I did take the Texans in that game as home dogs. I didn't think the game would turn this ugly, but Cleveland's defense, as good as they were this year... It was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde transformation depending on whether they were in Cleveland or on the road. On the road, 
They were a unit that could be had. And sure enough, C.J. Stroud did his part in the first half. He finishes the game 16-21 of for 274 with three touchdowns. A lot of that was in the first half because he didn't really need to throw the ball in the second half, especially after those two pick sixes and back-to-back possessions. Joe Flacco returns back to earth. Now, he does finish with 300 yards passing, but a lot of that was because Cleveland had to throw the football at a certain point, especially after his two pick sixes. This Houston Texans team has proved to be a fun bunch. As a former Oilers fan who now considers himself an NFL bastard, and maybe I'll reconsider that NFL, you take the Houston Oilers rights away from the Tennessee Titans and the Adams family and give them back to the city who rightfully deserves those rights, the city who has spent way too much emotional capital on the Houston Oilers in the past, I might consider rooting for the Texans. But in the meantime, I am happy for all my friends and family in H-Town who do love this franchise. You have a team that is very easy to get behind. It's been the case all year long. They've been overachievers all year long with the rookie quarterback, C.J. Stroud, first-year head coach, and D'Amico Ryans, and a bunch of Really good-looking young pieces. Derek Stingley in that secondary is a lot of fun. Obviously, Houston felt strongly about Will Anderson enough to move up to get him in this year's draft, forfeiting their first-round draft pick in 2024, which isn't nearly as good as the Cardinals thought it would be. Nico Collins is a bona fide number one wideout in the NFL. Six catches for 96 yards and a touchdown for him. How about Brevin Jordan? Tight end who rips off that big touchdown catch. And they're getting it done from all over the place, even without Tank Dell, the talented receiver out of the U of H, who's now out for the year with that lower leg injury. Devin Singletary was a huge pickup for this team in the offseason. They felt good about Damian Pierce after his rookie year, but something's been off with Pierce. Well, Devin Singletary has done a great job of picking up that slack. And now the Houston Texans move on to face a Baltimore team in round two, who is the one seed, yes. But let's remember, Baltimore is the same team who won that one seed in 2019, chose to sit their starters, or the most important starters, the last week of the regular season, effectively giving them three weeks off between games. They came out flat and got upset by the Tennessee Titans that year. And now the Houston Texans have an opportunity to do something similar. I'm looking forward to checking this game out on Saturday. It is the first of the divisional round matchups this coming weekend. A Saturday affair. And congratulations on finding a team that is a lot of fun to watch, Texans fans. In part because they're pretty good at winning football games. You had a feeling once Miami collapsed over the last couple of games and ceded the division crown to the Buffalo Bills, essentially getting punished by having to play a wild card round matchup against the division winning Kansas City Chiefs in KC, in Arrowhead in January, that the conditions weren't going to be prime for an upset. And sure enough, negative conditions for the opening kickoff, and things only got colder throughout. Pat Mahomes may have finally found his true number one wide uh, wide receiver 
with Rasheed Rice. Eight catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown for him. Of course, Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. And yes, the playoff Chiefs are back, folks. Gets a little bit easier when you get to go up against a team quarterbacked by Tuatuka Vailoa in cold conditions. Historically, he has not been good in the cold. But this Miami Dolphins team has a lot of questions to ask itself. Now, it's not totally fair, of course. The Dolphins suffered a rash of injuries. I know Jalen Waddle was back out there on Saturday, but they dealt with some big injuries on both sides, but especially the defensive side of the ball. When you lose your top pass rushers against the Kansas City Chiefs, that's going to make that job that much more difficult. Could never get the run established like like I think they needed to, like I think they were capable of as well. Very strange to watch Miami shy away from the run down the stretch this year. It's almost like they were trying too hard to prove that Tua Tungavaloa could be the guy. Ultimately, he is not the guy this year, at least uh, the guy to lead the Dolphins to a playoff win over the Kansas City Chiefs. We already talked about Green Bay-Dallas in segment one. Cowboys should be looking for a new head coach. Who knows, though? When Jerry finally got rid of Jason Garrett, it took him a couple weeks to do so. I'm recording this right now at 2 o'clock on Tuesday. Maybe the news has dropped. From now until this show is actually airing in the 6 o'clock hour, but I have no faith in that. Do you Cowboys fans have faith in Jerry Jones doing the right thing? Well, the right thing would be to quit his job as the team's GM and maybe take more of a passive role as his team's owner. But short of that, it's time for Mike McCarthy to go. Dan Quinn likely will be going regardless. He should be snagging a head coaching gig. If I were him, I'd be jumping at an opportunity to be a head coach someplace else because his unit was really exposed on Sunday. But we shall see. And of course, as the news breaks, we will uh, make sure to talk about it with you. Rams at Lions, the one truly compelling matchup beginning to end. Lions holding on for their first playoff win since 1992. I believe they beat the Dallas Cowboys. They win 24-23, though. Congrats to Dan Campbell and Jared Goff for making this franchise relevant once again. And having people in the Motor City juiced for a second home playoff game in this postseason. That's right, Detroit. They're going to be hosting... The Tampa Bay Bucks, thanks to the Dallas Cowboys losing, that ensured them, if they won on Sunday night, that they would get to host the second game. It was just a matter of, actually, it wasn't even a matter of who they would play against. Green Bay was the seventh seed, so Green Bay was the team that was heading to San Francisco, so if the Lions could win, they would get to face the winner of Philadelphia and Tampa Bay. And sure enough, that's what's going to happen. I think the Lions' biggest weakness right now is that pass defense, which lends itself to the possibility that they could find themselves upset by Tampa Bay if Baker Mayfield plays like he did last night against Philadelphia. Then again, his receivers need to be a little bit more sure-handed than they were last night. A game against Philadelphia should have been much uglier than it was. Ultimately, Philadelphia completely quit in the second half, and they have some questions to answer as well. But I don't want to take away from what Detroit has been able to do this year. Really solid front six on defense. And offensively, they can beat you multiple ways. I like the Thunder-Lightning combo of David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And I like how Dan Campbell will keep one guy in for the majority of a drive when he chooses a running back on a given drive. Both dudes have shown the ability to get the job done in that regard. 
Jared Goff has done a great job of finding his receivers all season long. I'm on Ross St. Brown, stud. Josh Reynolds was on fire to start the game on Sunday night. Jamison Williams gave them a little bit. Sam Laporta, even though he was banged up, he is an enormous weapon for them offensively, and you assume that he's going to look a little bit healthier for next week's matchup with the Bucs. The game that was moved from noon on Sunday to Monday afternoon, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. You know conditions are horrific if Buffalo is having to move the game because of wintry conditions from one day to another. Well, they did, and Buffalo did. I think what a lot of people expected them to do, and that's to dominate a Pittsburgh team that probably shouldn't have been there. Credit to them, I guess, for winning the games and doing so. But they were outplayed offensively all season long, and that happened once again. On top of Buffalo, looking like they are clicking at the right time and going out on a very sturdy limb by saying their matchup with Kansas City this next weekend is the most intriguing matchup, in my opinion. And then you have Philadelphia and Tampa. As I mentioned, Philadelphia just completely embarrassed. Some of the questions being asked in Dallas are now being asked in Philadelphia as well. Specifically, is Nick Sirianni done in Philly? I think that he built up enough goodwill by making it to the Super Bowl last year on top of some uncontrollable things derailing this offense at the end of the season, namely Jalen Hurts getting hurt, A.J. Brown missing the game with a knee injury, that he does get one more year, assuming that there's going to be a major overhaul on defense. Matt Patricia is like a crypt keeper wherever he goes these days. Just causing the death of whatever side of the ball he's responsible for. And that happened again with that Philadelphia defense. All right, coming up, one final segment. It's where are we at in society? A chef in Japan served his frank and beans to knowing customers. No, really. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show. And before we get to where we at in society, I need to let you know about a friend of mine. His name is Brian Hummel. His website, HummelRealtor.com. And whether you're searching for a dream home in Austin or perhaps you're curious about how much your home is worth, you should look no further than Brian Hummel, your trusted Austin realtor with Realty One Group Prosper. Brian is more than just a realtor. He's a full-service expert overseeing your entire transaction from start to finish. He'll lead you through each step of the buying or selling process with questions answered and details explained in plain English. With over two decades in Austin, Brian has witnessed the dynamic growth and evolution of the Central Texas market, making him your invaluable resource for buying, selling, and investing. Plus, as a certified real estate negotiator, Brian brings a strategic and skillful approach to bargaining. He secures the best deals, whether it's getting the highest price for a seller or the most favorable terms for a buyer. When you choose Brian Hummel as your realtor, you're not just hiring a real estate expert, you're gaining a trusted partner committed to your success. It's been interesting to be in the Austin market over the last year because things have cooled off, relatively speaking, but guess what? Signs are pointing to things heating back up. Right now is the best time to get a home on the market, and it's Interestingly, a good time for both buyers and sellers right now. That's why if you're either, you need to contact Brian today at 512-619-1347. That's 619-1347. Or log on to his website, HummelRealtor.com. That's H-U-M-M-E-L Realtor.com. Brian Hummel with Realty One, the one you need. It is the final segment of today's show, which means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? 
That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out, but sadly, today is not that day. And I need to have you hop with me into the time machine for just a little bit. We're going to go back a little bit more than 10 years for a story that I am just now laying eyes on for the very first time, and it is gnarly. Just going to warn you, if you have young ears or sensitive ears in the car, go ahead and turn it down to where maybe they're not paying such close attention, but you can still listen to me. A Japanese chef, age 22, cooked his own Franken-beans to paying guests at a dinner party. That's right, Mao Sugiyama, 22, who identifies as asexual, I'll say, had voluntarily undergone surgery to have his Frank and Beans removed. After they were frozen, he took them home from the hospital and organized a grim party. He charged guests around $200 per person to eat his Franken-beans at a gathering in Tokyo. They were garnished with mushrooms and parsley. Before dinner was served, guests sat down to listen to a piano recital. Oh, that's nice and take part in a panel discussion. Mao had initially considered eating his own, Frank, but decided to serve his parts up instead to guests, to paying guests who knew exactly what they were eating. He cooked things himself and was supervised by another chef. In a tweet, he offered to cook it up for guests for thousand dollars, but ultimately he decided to split the meal between six different people. He wrote on Twitter, quote, I am offering my all of that stuff as a meal for a hundred thousand yen. I'm Japanese. The organs were surgically removed at age 22. I was tested to be free of venereal diseases. The organs were of normal function. I was not receiving female hormone treatment. First interested buyer will get them or I will consider selling to a group. We'll prepare and cook as the buyer request at his chosen location. If you have questions, please contact me by DM or email. In total, around 70 people attended the event. While five people tucked into Mao's, you know what, the rest ate beef or crocodile. The people who ate his... Frank and Beans were a 30-year-old couple, a 22-year-old woman, a 32-year-old man, and the event's planner, a 29-year-old named Shigenobu Matsuazawa. That surely can't be right. He tweeted before the event, quote, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance, so I decided on the spur of the moment to do it. He posted pictures of the event on his blog, but later removed them and said the decision to take them down was due to privacy considerations. Guests were made to sign a waiver 
that exonerated him of responsibility if they became ill after eating his frankenbeans. The dinner party organizer joked before the event that he would be posting his recipe online. Guests said that things were very rubbery and didn't taste like a whole lot. Well, that's a disappointment. Police were contacted but didn't launch an investigation because they had said that uh, no laws had been broken. Wow. Now, I guess I do need to admit that I have been someone for a long time who has said, I will consider trying human, but only if it is humanely harvested human. This counts as humanely harvested, but I don't necessarily know if I want to try that part of a human. So I think I would have to pass here. Certainly, if you're asking me to pay $100, I'm not going to be able to do that. That is a strange bit. Didn't even elicit all that much money either. He's just willing to give it up like that. Give those things up like that for several hundred dollars. I mean, you got to try and go into the tens of thousands, don't you? You're getting rid of those for the rest of your life and feeding them to somebody. People are, well, obviously, people are freaks. Freaks who are willing to pay a lot of money to say that they got to go through an experience that nobody else can really go through on a day-to-day basis. You have rich people taking completely sealed submarines to go visit the Titanic at the bottom of the ocean. Guarantee you, there are people like that who would probably pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for this sort of experience. Especially if there's no moral quandary there because you're eating them off of somebody who's serving them up to you himself. All right, final story from today's Where Are We At? You know I'm a big fan of language if you listen to this show. Had to mock Gen Z last week because they have been called out for a lot of their stupid slang no longer being relevant to Gen Alpha, which I think are teenagers and below. Welp, there is a teacher at a school... In, I don't know where this school is, but a teacher has passed out a sheet basically banning certain slang in her classroom. She gives an explanation before the words. If you are caught using these words, you will write a short essay explaining why you chose to use these words in an academic setting to express yourselves. There are many ways to articulate what you need to say without using slang. Please know that using slang in an academic setting can diminish your capacity to become a successful writer. More often than not, the way you speak is the way you write. The gibberish some of you choose to use is improper English and sometimes inappropriate for an academic setting. This is an educational institution. You will carry yourself as scholars in my classroom. So what are the words? Bruh. That one's not so bad. Standing on business. See, I don't understand that. By the way, academic settings are accepting of a variety of ways of speaking. And slang should not be neglected because slang helps you understand how younger people are speaking. Anyhow, that's maybe a little bit of a nitpick there. More words that are banned in this classroom. Ooey ski ye. Don't know what that means. 
Ooh, this one. We talked about this one last week. You ate that up. No, that's not about eat, consuming anything. That has apparently replaced pop-off or go-off. Instead of pop-off, girl, or go-off, you ate that up, girl. Yeah, that one doesn't make sense to me. You know what? Get rid of that one. That's Cap. What's up, gang? Is that really not okay? Bet? Completely on board with getting rid of Bet. Bet is so stupid. Sorry if you're listening and you're young. I'm a middle-aged, not cool guy. Oh, my God, Miss T. Oh, God. On my mama. On my dead. I guess that's uh, you swearing on something. I swear, I promise. On my mama. On my dead. Riz. What's up, G-Wade? In the cut with my twin. <laughs> Don't even know. Just vibe. Giat. Ooh, Giat is another one that we talked about. It's goddamn shortened. Giat. On bro. On hood. Gang gang. On me. On the set. Freak you mean. Period. Munyon. Big dog. Motion. Just vibe, twin. What's up, twin? Night. It's giving. Now, I wish I could tell you what any of that means. I can't. Oh, and by the way, there are a couple of stars at the end of the list saying this list is subject to change. I'm assuming that means you are willing to add to the list. Brutal. That is it for another edition of Sports Day Plus. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling.